0: Involve, solve, evolve. Welcome to Cloud Crunch the podcast for any large enterprise planning on moving to or is in the midst of moving to the cloud. Hosted by the cloud computing experts from Second Watch. Jeff Aiden, co-founder and executive vice president of marketing and business development. Ian Willoughby, chief architect cloud solutions. And Skip Berry, executive director of cloud enablement. And now here are your hosts of Cloud Crunch. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Jeff Aiden, co-founder of Second Watch here, and I'm joined today by Ian Willoughby as Skip Barry is out with a client. On today's episode, we also have a special guest, Dusty Simone, Senior Product Manager of Hybrid Cloud Computing here at Second Watch. We're glad to have his experience and expertise as he shares today as we discuss hybrid computing and what it is, examples of how to get started, and some of the viewpoints from cloud-born and cloud-native providers like ourselves. So welcome to the show, Dusty. Oh, thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, it's great to, great to have you here. Well, let's start off you know, with kind of defining hybrid computing from you and Ian's perspective, because it is a vague term. It, it, it can cover quite a big ground out there. Um, so let's just start off with what hybrid computing is and where we're seeing some of the use cases today.
1: Sure. I think you hit it right on that there's a lot of confusion out there. Uh, everybody has their own definition. You'll see some people think hybrid cloud is using just two different cloud providers of Azure and AWS, while others tend to think of it as more of using a private cloud and the public clouds. And that's typically how I like to think of it is using the private cloud being mostly VMware and then the public cloud being your main providers of AWS, Azure, and GCP, and working that way. Use cases, you know, span beyond multiple use cases. Ian, do you tend to agree with uh, that definition of hybrid cloud?
2: I do, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a combination of one or many cloud providers with, uh, it, it could be a managed data center, it could be their own data center, whatever combination it is, or just some reference of on on-premise equipment that just can't seem to move to the cloud.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a large driver of it where people tend to uh, have those, sometimes legacy applications just, just can't move, but they are evolving and becoming more dev-centric and, and more cloud applications being put in place. Digital transformations are happening, but there's still those legacy apps that can't even be lifted and shifted into the cloud. They have to remain in the data center.
0: Yeah, those are, those are great definitions. And, you know, we've seen it kind of morph and change, right? I think, you know, over the 10 years early on, hybrid and, and private cloud were used to combat some of the growth that Amazon was seeing. But now we've even seen Amazon embrace it with Outpost and new products um, like VMC, VMware's cloud on AWS, right? Um, and so I think it's continuing to morph and can mean different things to different people, right?
2: Absolutely. And, and about, I would say, several months ago, I was at a security uh, forum with, and it was all CIOs and CTOs of uh, public and traded companies and large enterprises, mainly in the Southeast. And they all were saying, hybrid's not going away. It's here to stay for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, we really saw that shift the last two years, I would say two or three years, right? Where it's definitely not going away. And and really, Ian, out in the field, there's lots of use cases like batch computing where you're using the cloud to burst and expand your capabilities or or compute power, as well as high performance computing. A lot of those are hybrid applications in in many cases, right?
2: Absolutely. Yes. In a lot of cases, because data is never going to move entirely to the cloud, because that's the secret sauce, and there may be too much of it. You take an insurance company that's been in business for over 100 years, they're not motivated necessarily to move all that data to the cloud. Uh, It is exactly what makes them worthwhile, and they want to keep it close to, it may be mainframes or other existing things that just do not lend themselves necessarily great to the cloud at this point.
0: Well, and you said secret sauce that they may not move to the cloud. It's not that they believe that the cloud is insecure. It is, it's proprietary information. It might be formulas. It might be a way of doing business or data that they have that they just do not want anybody, even providers to have access to one or two people in the organization may have access to some of that proprietary data um, is what we've seen in the past.
2: Absolutely. And it, yeah, again, it's not security because most people do understand that the cloud is, in most cases, far more secure than you can do it on-prem. You've got people working at it 24 hours a day that you don't have to employ on your own side. So that's fantastic. But yes, it's it, in some cases, if you look at just the raw cost of storage and the type of storage that they need and the formats that they need, there may not always be an ROI specifically for the cloud.
1: I've uh, run into that a lot as well, where what we've seen is that, you know, as you get your data center equipment and you're running near 80 percent or above uh, utilization, at that point there, the cost savings in your own data center uh, might make sense to run that workload there. But for that burst capacity, as well as your non-consistent workloads that you could turn off at night or or don't need full 24-7 those in the cloud definitely could experience the cost savings there.
0: Yeah. That's an interesting point that you both bring up that, you know, why don't companies just move to the least expensive, right? So in, in many cases, cost is not the only driver released down not to an application level that enterprises are looking for. Is that what you're seeing, Dusty?
1: Yeah. So uh, especially down at the application level, they get the ability to scale up with the cloud and scale down and, and that versatility and flexibility gives them the cost savings. But for those always on applications uh, that are pretty stagnant, if they're running a large environment like uh, that, have applications like that, keeping it in their data center can be cost effective for them that way, especially if it's also not being uh, egress traffic going out into the if it's all internal IT apps. From that standpoint, then they're not incurring bandwidth charges that might be happening if you go to the public cloud. So there is definitely a, a use case, a very strong use case for a mixture of applications being placed outside into the public cloud and then uh, maybe internal IT apps remaining in the data center.
0: Yeah. And one major driver we've seen over the last couple of years is data and the amount of data is increased, right, is companies are not able to build or nor want to build their data centers as fast as the business needs, right? So we had a very large financial services company that that used it to run Monte Carlos simulations on their actuaries to understand risk exposure, right? There's tons of use cases where they're either in the queue or they can't quite get the IT resources where a hybrid application or, or service may make sense. Absolutely.
1: The other thing that, uh, you know, your data center equipment, if you've made the capital investment to purchase it, it, it's a sunk cost already. So while you still have your power and cooling that you have to maintain in the data center, but if it's already there, getting the longevity of the life out of your existing on-premise equipment can extend the life, uh, especially in some of the use cases I'm sure we'll probably talk about later.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great point. So what are some of the security concerns that, Dusty or Ian, you see that companies are concerned about with hybrid computing.
2: Well, I, I think definitely in the in the past, and it's it's getting less and less, which is which is good. A lot of the companies were very concerned about who would be able to see their data, would it be able to leak? Uh, how do they know that it's locked down? As the tools have gotten better, there's better visibility in it. But if you just take a look at all the compliance that uh, cloud providers have, they already have PCI, HIPAA, ISO, NIST, FedRAMP, you name it, it goes on and on and on. So they're constantly looking at this and bringing in third-party auditors to verify that their practices and their architectures are up to the compliance that people need. We also know that the cloud providers can work with uh, secret government agencies And if you can work at that level, it's gonna be far better than what you could probably do on-prem. Having all these eyes on you all the time, and you know if Amazon or Azure or Google makes a mistake, it's gonna be on the Wall Street Journal. And that alone is a lot of pressure that a lot of people would just, would never experience unless they kind of outsource that shared security model to a cloud provider. So it's more
0: a perceived uh, security concern than a reality.
2: It is, you know, and and they do decommission uh, resources correctly or reprovision them. They're making sure that data is wiped. Uh, And again, but it doesn't get people off the hook from doing the best practices. That is making sure that you have security at rest, security in transit. And if you follow the practices and the principles that you're supposed to be doing anyways, you're going to be far more secure in the cloud.
0: Yeah. Hey, Dusty, Do you think Amazon's you know, release of Outpost is to address some of the security concerns or to bring the hybrid capabilities closer to the customer?
1: I think it hits on both of those, actually. They're, they're bringing Outpost to the data center itself for those clients that are just uncomfortable with having their data a lot of the times or their uh, secret sauce we talked about, you know, outside of their control, you know, a lot of the chief security officers, you know, they're the ones that are jobs are on the line if if there's a breach. So they want to have their fingers in control and they know if it's in their data center, they feel more secure, that just sense of security. But then also those applications that have latency. So Amazon bringing those into the data center of the customer so that they can then, get rid of and reduce the latency that might be there for some of those legacy apps that just can't make the migration into the cloud. But I want to go back and and Ian hit uh, one point that I I thought was really good earlier about that sometimes the public cloud is uh, more secure than your own data center. And I think in regards to security concerns, customers that are not adopting uh, a hybrid strategy run the risk of shadow IT going on. If they keep them Try and isolate them into their own data center on their own infrastructure. You're going to see the rogue operator doing shadow IT where they don't have the visibility. Uh, But by embracing a hybrid cloud strategy, uh, you can see then take advantage of tools such as Control Tower, Sentinel, using blueprints and landing zones, and making sure that uh, all of that is under the purview of the CISO, so that there isn't that concern of uh, less security in the public cloud. It's actually more these tools that. Azure and AWS have built have now made it to where your public cloud probably is uh, a lot more secure uh, other than your system going in and just locking everything down and not allowing any egress traffic.
0: Yeah, and we talked about this on a previous episode. One of the benefits of Outpost right, is Amazon ships that, racks it, and stacks it all for the customer and then the partner and or employees can access that services, which is pretty handy hey uh, switching gears real quick Dusty as you look at public cloud and you have on-premise resources let's talk about management both from you know the associate side um, or partner side as well as to like orchestrate management of these workloads in different environments what are you seeing some of the tools and how are companies being successful in doing some of that
1: so uh, the successful adoption of a hybrid strategy, and also one of the complexities that goes along with it, is exactly this: the the management, orchestration. Uh, how do you get your hands around that? And the market has really started to see an explosion of cloud management providers coming out, uh, developing tools. Companies such as well VMware has their uh, cloud health tooling and their vRealize suite, but then. You know, RightScale has been around for a while. They were bought by Flexera, but they have tooling that allows for your code to be deployed to whichever cloud that you want, uh, does the orchestration. But looking at your automation and governments, lifecycle management, usability, the access, all of that can be done through a lot of these cloud management tools that are on the market now, and they just continue to advance in their abilities. One partner Scaler, Scalar. They're heavily connected to Terraform and focusing on utilizing your Terraform and Scalar to deploy to multiple clouds.
0: Yeah, we love Terraform. <laughs> Ian, anything to add to that one?
1: No, I
2: think absolutely right. You know, everybody's always has this holy grail of one single pane of glass the tooling's definitely got better uh, we tend to, to recommend not going that direction but using there are great tools like cloud health that give you visibility across the the board but as far as management a lot of times you want to use something like terraform if for uh, infrastructure as code definitely you need infrastructure as code let's get that clear but as far as using the unique tooling for each cloud provider, I think that's important because if you try to do a single pane of glass for, uh, let's say, service catalogs or launching of new resources, some cases you can kind of simplify it down too much and not be able to take advantage of the best aspects of each cloud. So you just have to be careful with that as well.
0: Yeah. And, you know, where we've seen companies successful, right, is where a lot of times they leverage partners for some of the public cloud and will manage their internal resources where their experts are. By all means, you don't have to use a partner. We've just seen customers become really successful when they do to ensure that they don't have to train everybody initially upfront on public cloud services that comes over time as they start to work with it and get educated with it. Obviously. Um, Hey, so let's talk about some of the complexities Uh, The management piece obviously deals with some of that, but where are we seeing customers get stuck or the complexities as they start to implement either multi-cloud or hybrid cloud computing? I know we touched upon it in a previous episode, but let's, you know, Dusty, get your perspective and then Ian, of course.
1: Uh, Sure. So I, I think one of the things that I've seen clients get stuck with is not doing a full assessment of their applications and their dependencies. And so they move their application to the public cloud, uh, but they keep their database back into their private cloud or on-premise data center. And then that latency drag, you know, and uh, we had one client that uh, had SAP uh, that they kept in their data center and they moved everything else out into the public cloud. And the the latency and the hit, you know, SAP is a hog as it is on resources and trying to then come back. The the performance hit they took, it it wasn't a good experience for them because they didn't map out all the dependencies. So looking at your dependency mapping, seeing what's related to make sure that when you're making those moves and and doing that planning of what you can move to the public cloud and what you're leaving back in your data center, you know, how is it going to be impacted uh, when you make that migration? Hey Dusty, on that example, was it a case
0: that the client just didn't understand how to leverage the public cloud or how to create that
1: seamless hybrid experience, or was it, you know, that
0: they they had other
1: issues? Uh, they had other issues. They had worked with a consultant prior to bringing PsychoWatch in, and in that particular instance, there there wasn't dependency proper dependency mapping done, and they were quite upset with the implementation was done they came to us and then asked us to you know fix it for them and that's what we found out that it wasn't the solution they they were actually doing a vmc on aws uh solution and it wasn't the fact that vmware was poor performing but the way they had implemented it so once we made some changes and implemented hybrid connect the performance increased some you, you still have that latency you know but uh, we're taking steps to improve that and, and so is vmware
0: Right. So you have some complexities with the technology, but you also have complexity with some maybe traditional partners or partners, companies have leveraged in the past that just don't have that depth of knowledge.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, tooting our own horn here for a second, you know, we are one of only five master service competencies on VMC and AWS in the United States. So knowing, having done numerous implementations that way, we understand the complexities that go along with running a hybrid VMC implementation.
0: Dean, anything to add on complexities?
1: No, absolutely. I think sometimes
2: uh, it it gets a challenge to figure out, let's say, rationalization of where to put things as well. So, in a hybrid world, that you keep that workload on prem. And that goes back to some of the analysis that Dusty was talking about as well. But, you know, where exactly should this reside? And it gets even more complex when you are dealing with a multi cloud environment. You know, there's cost implications, there's it's just different apples and oranges in some cases, but also just the networking components. It's getting a lot better, but, you know, you still, those skills that you still had on-prem related to WAN connectivity that still exists today, and, and you really have to think about how to monitor that traffic, ingress, egress east-west and, and those types of things as well great let's talk
0: about hybrid architecture for a moment that often involves silos right so you got the infrastructure the orchestration the application the data the IT management um, and and there can be issues when companies are trying to architect with these silos let's talk about some of the challenges and how companies over should look at overcoming those
1: um, to be successful sure Um I, th- I think one of those, uh, I go back to the, the previous point I was talking where we, uh, you know, having a, a dependency map, understanding to Ian's point, your traffic flows, what the networking information is, but also your data. D- data is one of the biggest obstacles to clients moving to the cloud just because of the, the cost of uh, moving it in and moving it out and then uh, accessing it. So th- the, the, the abundance of it. Impacts that so, getting a clear understanding of these silos and the data is often siloed off uh, to the side, and uh, every department has their own data. You know, some of that can be resolved by data lakes and data platforms, and uh, that's a great topic for a future podcast. Uh, so, uh, and not my area of expertise, but definitely something that uh, we're seeing people have challenges with understanding of how do we get access to the data where we might have had a big. EMC or NetApp, that everybody had their own carved off portion, but how is it going to be impacted as we go into the cloud? And sometimes uh, IT administrators aren't even realizing all of the different people accessing those uh, big Santa Ray storages.
2: I also think that a lot of the silos are introduced or they're created by or existing because of the human factor. And a lot of it is, you know, we have various groups, they've done their own thing. Uh, networking did networking, storage did storage, sysadmins did sysadmin work. As this, you can go to the cloud, this is an opportunity to do a cultural shift inside your organization as well. And that usually involves making sure that you have the buy-in from the top level down of an organization. Most developers, they know about DevOps, they want to do those types of things, but it needs to work from the top to the bottom and really trying to break those silos down and, and there's a lot of patterns out there that you know we didn't create but they've organically created it in the industry it's the formation of a cloud center of excellence or cloud enablement engines depending on what you want to call it and it's important to have those together during this transformation time period to bring these groups together and the stakeholders to really understand each other and the challenges and then develop the strategy around the hybrid uh deployments of how you're going to address those things culturally and within the groups and break down those silos.
0: Great. Well, let's maybe also address what kind of training and obviously it's going to make a difference if we're talking about, you know, AWS or you know, VMware or Azure or Google, right? But let's talk about addressing some of the basic training of staff or how they work with partners like us to Help get them up to speed as they're starting to think and build around hybrid computing. So, Dusty, you could even go back to your example of of that assessment and, and listing the dependencies. You know, that's not new to IT, but how come that stuff gets missed as they start to look towards public cloud? And and by all means, Ian, chime in there as well.
1: Uh, I, th- I think some of that has to do with. You know, where people and the development, especially that's happened over, you know, IT's I, been around for 40 years, but uh, cloud's only been around for 10. And you have a mixture of employees who are, who have uh, done things, you know, all in the data center, not adopting the cloud, and don't necessarily understand the, the DevOps type approach to, to deploying. Uh, while then you have your newer, you know, employees that are, are application builders that uh, have fully adopted cloud. And and trying to marry some of those definitely becomes, I I think you see your people who are fresh, newer developers, they won't even think about doing uh, stuff in the data center unless they're forced, they they feel it's archaic. While the legacy staff that has a history of running, you know, sysadmin and knowing what's done there. And, And so it's getting those to work together and We typically do that by starting off with uh, whenever we have an engagement, getting all the stakeholders in the room, understanding what their goals are and how do we achieve those goals and and bring everybody up to speed. But uh, I have a colleague here, uh, Stefano, who will tell you that, you know, DevOps is not just uh, going in and saying, oh, we're going to do the DevOps. It's coming in and and getting the buy in throughout the whole organization. It starts at the top down, uh, getting that buy in but also being implemented and, and then it is this, a new skill set. And uh, whenever we complete an engagement, there are several artifacts that are left behind as well. And obviously we could talk more about what goes on in between, but getting everybody up to speed, training, understanding how the tooling works. tooling's only part of it though, because it is a concept and uh, mindset adoption.
0: Yeah, no, and you touched upon a great point that I, I can say with confidence uh, you know, for over 10 years of doing this. I have yet to see somebody from what we would call old IT embrace the cloud and lose their job. They've actually been promoted many times within their company and have gotten hired away to lead cloud development, cloud transformation. I've never seen anybody get fired. However, I have seen people get moved out that did not embrace the cloud. And so for those of you that may be coming a little late to the cloud party or adoption, uh, rest assured, if you embrace it and learn it, you're actually going to propel your career and have a chance to make a lot more income and, and change your lifestyle because it's in high demand. So rest assured, if you embrace some of the new, you will experience benefits from that. Ian, anything else to, to add that Dusty might have glossed over or something else you want to add on that piece?
2: Yeah, no, I think it's, it's uh, you've made a very valid point, Jeff. And uh, the companies that we have dealt with. You're absolutely right. The people that do embrace the cloud, they win. They do well, they go on, they get promoted. We kind of keep an unofficial running total of the number of people who get promoted that we work with. And it's it's very vast and, and growing every day. But I've also never met anybody yet that decided that they wanted to learn the cloud and their own IT that hasn't been able to adopt. It's really just a choice at that point. So get those training, get the certification as a as an individual, You put that on LinkedIn, you're you're going to be amazed at what happens to the number of calls you get by recruiters. Uh, So keep that in mind as well.
0: All right. Hey, uh, we've talked quite a bit about VMware and, you know, VMware on AWS, AWS and Outpost. Let's talk about Azure Stack, which could have similarities to, to Outpost as far as, you know, physical gear. It's a little bit more custom. But, Ian, why don't you talk about some of the use cases or, you know, similarities between some of those?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Azure Stack's been around for a couple of years at least, and uh, it's, it's a great way to get started when you're, you're trying to test uh, cloud deployments. It integrates very well into the development system, as Azure does itself, uh, into the different Microsoft tools. And you can start small, and you can really try out what you're trying to do in the cloud And as uh, great for app dev uh, testing. Once you get there, you can push it into Azure. It looks just like the same environment and uh, you're good to go. It's also same use cases as well. If you've got latency issues, but you want one platform and you've got to stay close to the data or you got to stay close to manufacturing equipment, it's a great thing to have right there on site.
0: Hey guys, before we wrap up the show, is there anything you wanna add around VMC on AWS, uh, Outpost, Azure Stack, hybrid cloud computing that that we wanna get in in the last couple of minutes of this show?
2: I just think it's really exciting at this particular junction of the industry that there's a lot of options now for a hybrid environment. If you want to extend your VMware platform into the cloud, fantastic, you've got that option now, you've got the people and the capabilities already in place. But if you're already on AWS or you want to move towards that way, an Outpost solution will look just like AWS. Same thing with Azure Stacks. So again, just fantastic opportunities to really, really nail down a hybrid strategy.
1: Yeah, I think it's a, a really exciting time as well because you're seeing you know, your private clouds moving into the public cloud and your public clouds moving into the data center that clients own on, on their own. So that mixing and meshing of the worlds, there's going to be a lot more coming over the next two, three years.
0: Hey, Dusty, thanks for joining us today. It's always great to hear from really knowledgeable experts uh, within Second Watch and appreciate what you're doing to to move hybrid cloud computing forward with our company. Uh, Always a pleasure, Ian. We'll talk with you next week, obviously, as we kick off the next episode. And if you have any questions, comments, and feedback, listeners, please send it to cloudcrunch at secondwatch.com, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Cloud Crunch with Jeff Aiden, Ian Willoughby, and Skip Berry. For more information, check out the blog, secondwatch.com company slash blog, or reach out to Second Watch on Twitter.